Hi, and welcome to Bread. As the year comes to a close, we're celebrating Advent, that part of the church's calendar where we look forward to and prepare for Jesus's birth. Over these next weeks, allow yourself to be still. Hear again the wonderful news of Christmas and have Jesus meet you with all his hope, joy, peace, and love. Um, the kids are going to stay in, um, uh, but they can also not stay in, if you think that might be appropriate. Um, but I'm going to talk very uh, briefly about Christmas, which seems appropriate, does it not? Um, but first, obviously, I want to talk about Rihanna, and uh, then I want to talk about self-actualization, and then I want to talk about goblins. Uh, goblins, obviously. Uh, and having done all that, back to Christmas. I hope that's okay. Now, I know you, you want to be happy, as do I. We all want to be happy, don't we? We want lasting, joyful happiness. I hope you find it because you deserve it. In my pursuit of happiness, I came across a wonderful quote, which I found very interesting, actually. It was from, um, it was something that Rihanna said a few years ago. It was Umbrella Ella Ella. No, it wasn't. Uh, it was in a speech, actually, that she gave a few years ago. She said this, the minute you learn to love yourself, you won't want to be anybody else. Now, I think that sounds a little bit trite on one level. But actually, thinking about it, I think it's quite profound. Because she wasn't saying, the minute you love yourself, you can achieve anything or nothing will ever hurt you, or life will be great, or you'll never make any mistakes, which of course are all obviously not true. And she was saying something more than the minute you love yourself, you will simply be happy in your own skin. Instead, she was saying something very specific. She said, the minute you learn to love yourself, you won't want to be anybody else, suggesting that the real threat to our contentment is based in our seemingly never-ending need to compare, coveting what we do not have, what we are not yet, wanting to be anyone and anything actually other than ourselves. And, says Rihanna, the antidote to all of this is knowing love. As I said, I think quite profound. Well done, Rihanna. Out of the mouths of babes. Yeah, thank you, Adam. I was quite pleased with that. That's the best joke in the whole thing. <laughs> I think she's right. I just want to question 
where that love we need must ultimately come from. Is it, as she says, from within? Or is it from somewhere else? So that's Rihanna and self-actualization, now goblins. Every December, the Oxford University Press, the publishers of the Oxford English Dictionary, decide on a word of the year, and you may have seen this reported. This is the word that has spiked in usage and best sums up the English-speaking world's shared experience over the past 12 months. There were three shortlisted words of phrases. Do you want to hear them? Beaten into third place was hashtag I stand with. Thank goodness. And a distant second was metaverse. Thank even more goodness. The clear winner with 93% of the public vote was instead goblin mode. 2022 has apparently been the year when humanity went full on goblin. The term refers to a type of behavior which is unapologetically self-indulgent. Lazy, slovenly, greedy, typically in a way that rejects social norms or expectations, which sounds quite a lot like the Flint family household on the day after Christmas, and also probably on the day after that and most of January. And if we're really being honest, most of the time, we're quite goblin mode in our household. As one commentator put it, goblin mode is like when you wake up at 2 a.m., you shuffle into the kitchen, wearing nothing but a long t-shirt to make a weird snack, like melted cheese on saltines. Now, leaving aside that because it's 2022, no doubt someone somewhere will think that calling goblins slovenly is discriminatory and goblinist, I think there is actually something quite interesting going on here. We've emerged, haven't we, from a global lockdown on the one hand, to be confronted by perhaps the looming scepter of worldwide financial catastrophe, the threat of Armageddon, World War III on the other. Goblin mode resonates with any of us who are feeling a little bit overwhelmed, doesn't it? Let's just hunker down and eat things that we know are bad for us. But more significantly, isn't it also a relief to acknowledge that we're not always the idealized, curated selves that we're encouraged to present on social media. And this, I think, is the point. It's a rebuff to that pressure to be the best version of ourselves. Rise at five, do your workout, embark on an elaborate skincare regimen, drink an organic green smoothie, post it all on social media, hashtag wellness, hashtag Batgirl, hashtag just here living my best life, the subtext being hashtag and I truly believe that I am better than you. Instead, Cheetos, in our pajamas, with ice cream and whiskey and cigarettes and mojitos, and selling sunset on the TV and nacho trees, straight from the bowl, with our hands. <laughs> now, all joking aside, I think we probably all know, don't we, that goblin mode almost certainly is not the long-term answer. When we think of humanity at its peak, I don't think we think no showers for a few days. Yes, that's our species apotheosis. We have made it. But it is, isn't it, an interesting admittance that everything else we've tried might not actually be working out like we wanted it to. Goblin mode actually represents a realization in wider society that our efforts however noble or good, just can't 
ultimately take us where we want to go. So can I suggest that perhaps there's a deeper problem? And that the problem is within. That whilst we can and we do achieve wonderful, extraordinary things, I mean, isn't it moving seeing people who are brilliantly musically gifted using their gifts? I started crying. I never cry, I'm British. I started crying because of how beautiful that music was. We can and we do do extraordinary things, don't we? And we can give and receive beautiful expressions of love from time to time. But nevertheless, aren't we still looking for something a bit more? And we, by ourselves, might not have all of the answers. I think that would be okay to admit to ourselves. Now, I know this is all sounding a little bit, um, the answer's Jesus. <laughs> I was brought up in a Christian home, uh, and uh, when I could, I wanted to get as far away from it as possible. I didn't want anything to do with Christianity or church when I left home. And I remember uh, screaming at God as this sort of um, precocious undergraduate at university at one point, screaming at him, saying, I don't believe in you anymore, which is quite a strange thing to do to an entity you don't think exists. But nevertheless, I did it because I thought he should know, even though he didn't exist. And I screamed at him. And do you know what, though? In that moment, it was a huge sense of relief. I found it the most wonderfully freeing experience. It was like all those years of stifling, suffocating religion fell off in that moment, and I felt free. I'd just found Christianity in the main part to be so horribly judgmental. So I have every sympathy with you, if that's been your experience too. The truth is, Christians, can be sanctimonious, judgmental little so-and-sos, can't they? And I am, in all seriousness, very sorry for the pain that we and they have caused. I don't belittle it. What I later found, though, was that Christianity that I thought I knew was very different to the real thing. And at Christmas, this most famous of stories, when we're actually able to peel back the over-familiarity, we can actually catch a glimpse of what the whole thing is actually truly about. And firstly, it doesn't shy away from the problem. In the starkest of terms, it actually acknowledges that left to our own devices and despite our best efforts, something's not quite right with the world and something's not actually quite right with us. And something needs fixing. The people walk in darkness, stumbling around is how one of the gospel writers puts it. We are, are we not, not always the people we want to be. We are not always the people who treat other people particularly well. We don't always like ourselves very much either, do we? When we're honest, when we're looking in the mirror, when we scratch beneath the surface. We sometimes, but not very often, actually do the right thing. Quite often we don't do the right thing at all. And so, if there's one person who perhaps has every right 
to be judgmental about the world and us? Is it not perfect, pure, unadulterated God, just as a matter of logic? I mean, look what we've done with the place. Look what we do to each other every day. Could you blame him if he'd just given up on us and the whole shebang? Maybe he actually already has. Well, let me tell you what he actually does. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is born in a feeding trough amongst some animals and urine and excrement and stench. God takes the frail flesh of a baby and gets involved. Unlike all religious, self-important people who look to distance themselves from the dirt lest it might possibly just infect them a little bit, the true perfect God moves into the neighborhood. Now, I'm not actually that interested in the God baby. You know, the Jesus of Christmas. I know, wasn't that the cutest thing in the world? The kids love it. There are sheep. There are people dressed as animals. Always a winner. But I'm not actually that interested in the God baby. After all, in a couple of months, we'll have forgotten all about him until next year, right? I'm interested in the God man whom that God baby grew up into. Because he is fantastic and he is everlasting, and he is enduring. And has there ever been anyone quite like him? All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the kings and queens that ever reigned, all the governments that ever sat, all the presidents who ever ruled, none have affected our life as much as that one solitary life. He stood up to all the religious control of society. And he stuck a finger up in its face and said, let my people go, they're too important. They're too loved. He befriended the weak and the vulnerable. He healed those who other people refused to even touch. And he will heal any part of you that you refuse to even look at for the shame of it. He raised the dead and he washed his disciples' feet. He was self-confident but not self-related. He was driven but not detached. He was gentle but not weak. He was free but not feckless. He was powerful but not oppressive. He was kind but not codependent. He was a leader but not a dictator. He was a servant but not a submissive. Has there ever been anyone quite like Jesus of Nazareth? In him was the light. The light for all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, in all our darkness. But the darkness has not and will not ever overcome it. And what he comes to do ultimately is to love you. To love you into meaningful, peaceful, joyful, contented, purposeful existence. Because you matter infinitely to him. You see, the Bible doesn't describe God just as loving. The Bible said God is love. And Jesus has made this God who is love, who cannot help but be love, known. I believe we're finding it as a species increasingly difficult to love one another and ourselves.
because the well from which we're drawing has run dry. We've been bruised and battered. Our love has been taken for granted, and it's not always been reciprocated. So most of the love has been used up, and ultimately, there probably wasn't enough of it in the first place. Bert Bacharach was right, a reference there for the kids. But the love of God never, ever, ever runs dry. It's unconditional. Even at our lowest, at our basest, at our most hopeless and undignified, it meets us exactly where we are. That is the abiding message of Christmas. It's not about tinsel. It's about God coming in search of people, in search of you, because you matter to him and he wants to change you. He wants to make you the person you sense in your greatest moments you could become. This is what he has come to do. Because his love is of such infinite power that it does not leave us where we are. It heals us and it restores us and it forgives us and it changes us and it sets us free. It is the love, I believe, all of us need to lift us up out of the death of self-comparison, out of the stench of coveting what we're not and what we don't have. When we know the love of God, we won't want to be anybody else ever again. I hope you find it. You deserve it. And it's what we're celebrating at Christmas. You're not alone. No one has fallen too far. No one has wandered too far. But it's God's love and his son that we're looking for. It's what makes sense of our whole experience. So Merry Christmas. I hope you have a wonderful holiday. Let me pray, and then we're going to listen to a song. You may want to just bow your heads, just to respect those around you. Thank you, God, that you didn't leave us alone, that you haven't left us alone. Thank you that we matter to you and that you're here now. And I pray you would meet with every single one of us and show us just how much you care, how much you can change us. Thank you that we are made for you and you keep coming after us. In Jesus' name, amen.